0: This podcast represents my opinion and the opinion of my guests. This is not medical advice and I am not establishing a patient-physician relationship with any listener. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only and because each patient is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions you may have.
1: Welcome, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Not Your Doc podcast. Um, I'm your host, Vanessa, and I'm here again with our producer, Seth. We are in the Midwest Institute for Hearts and Minds studios here in Dr. Tadros's lovely house. Of course, we're here with Mr. uh, Not Your Doc himself, Dr. Charles Tadros. Hi, everybody. (laughs) It's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful setup that we've got here. Thank you. Yeah. And we can credit your wife with all the styling, That's right. which is, it is. excellent. Just it's gets 100%. stuff up in here. It looks Thank you, really Julie. Nice.
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: so um, we're back for another really interesting talk um, with another uh, medical and mental health professional today. I'm so excited about this one, um, Dr. Jennifer Abel is someone that we've been wanting to have on the podcast really since its inception. You're one mm-hmm. of the first people on our list that we oh, wanted to wow. reach out to. Um, your reputation precedes you, and I'm going to mm-hmm. kick it right off to Dr. Tadros here to introduce you, and then we'll get going with our conversation about worry and anxiety today. You're
2: making me blush.
1: No, Goodness.
0: no, there's no blushing a lot. Well, that's good. Thank, <laughs> thank you, Vanessa. Yeah. Jennifer, thank you for, uh, for coming. It's uh, You made time. We talked about this uh, before you took off for a little bit uh, a few a month or a half ago, so I'm glad you made it, and then you were very kind. You caught up on some of your work, and then you came to see us here. I've known Dr. Abel for uh, for several years now, mainly because I was a primary care doctor in St. Louis, and I needed a lot of mental health professionals' help for a lot of my patients. And Jennifer happens to be one of those people that's very special. Not only is she bright and she writes books and she goes on on speaking circuits, but uh, but she also returns people's calls. Uh, <laughs> other other mental uh, other a professionals. coveted skills. <laughs> it's, uh, it's rare. It's rare. I only invite people who call me back whenever I ask about <laughs> common patients. But uh, but I've known Jennifer for many uh, for many years. Jennifer specializes now, and this is part of what I'm going to ask Jennifer to talk about. She specializes now in, in anxiety disorders and chronic worry and, and related, and we're going to talk more about that. Um, so thank you, Jennifer, for making time. Welcome. My pleasure. Good would to you, be here. Would you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you, how you got to be a mental health professional and, and, uh, and a little bit more about your, the fun stuff that you like to talk about, the, some of the sure. offshoot, offshoots of just besides one-on-one patient care, client care, client care.
2: Sure, i uh, be happy to. So I started off in music school, of all things. Me too! Oh, yes. really? I love that! Seth, Seth and I
0: are odd, odd, odd guys out.
2: <clears throat> and I had tendonitis because I was mm. playing so hard with so much intensity. What was your instrument? Piano. Okay! You too? No, no? voice. <laughs> oh wow, yeah. cool. And I read this book about managing your stress and anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I learned progressive relaxation, which Mm -hmm. is, most people have done some form tensing and relaxing your Mm -hmm. muscles. And I found that not only did it help me to relax when I was playing, that it helped me to relax in traffic and with obnoxious people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. and, uh, so I became very interested in the mind-body connection. And decided to try psychology because I didn't want to eat, sleep, and breathe music. Uh And fast-forwarding into grad school, I continued down that road of really being interested in mind-body. And uh, anxiety is where we see most of the physical mm-hmm. manifestations of mental health, or at least in my view, mm-hmm. with the GI symptoms, panic attacks, palpitations, uh-huh. um, tension, like I had chronic tension that mm-hmm. can lead to a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I became, I kind of stumbled into the worry, part because I had the opportunity to do my postdoc with a guy by the name of Tom Borkovec and he's one of the guys that wrote the book on that progressive relaxation. Oh, okay. So, I was really enamored with his background and he specializes in worry and I love that I've landed on worry mm-hmm. because worry is often the seed mm-hmm. of many other mental health problems yeah, and physical problems. That's right. So generalized anxiety disorder, which is the worry disorder,
3: mm-hmm.
2: is one of the most common comorbid conditions amongst anxiety and mood disorders. And anxiety, uh, the worry and GAD almost always comes first. Mm-hmm. So it appears to be a breeding ground for, yeah. And, yeah. And,
0: and, and Vanessa and I have talked about this for years. I think that's one of the first things that we miss for the last 20 or 30 years. we picked mm-hmm. up more ADD and ADHD, but I think, and depression, I think that's one of the things we miss in youngsters that eventually we see later is that the, 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 everything from generalized anxiety to social phobias mm-hmm. uh, to separation issues and, and, and panic. And uh, that's what we eventually see as, as other mental health issues, mm-hmm. just like you said, and physical symptoms. That's right.
2: Yeah, and I would even say that a lot of patients, clients, don't worry enough about their worry because mm-hmm. they've worried all their lives right. and they just think, oh, I'm a worrier. That's yes. right. You know, mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, That's right. I have green eyes. Uh, and they think that they can't change it. That's right. Right. And what brings them to treatment Sometimes it's I worry too much, right. but oftentimes what brings them to treatment is panic attacks, right. the progressed, depression,
0: progressed right,
2: OCD. Uh, yes, it's progressed. Yeah,
0: people need or to understand sleep that sleep problems. That's yeah. right. People need to understand, and this is exactly what I tell people. And I have, it runs in my family too. They start out with generalized anxiety about tests or about. Running a race, and then eventually expands. They have a hard time leaving, the, uh, getting on an airplane without having any drink or Xanax, and so it kind of expands. It never just stays where it is if you if you if you don't uh, do something about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, uh, can you tell me what kind of uh, um, how did how did you end up? Um, well, what's the difference between just a chronic worrier and excessive worrying and pathologic worrying and, and every day just worrying? Uh, what's what's kind of the difference? Where do you differentiate it? When do you pat somebody on the head and say, hey, you're normal. You're not, this is not too bad. For what you're going through, this is right. acceptable. This is acceptable." This is a reasonable
2: response <laughs> right. here. Yeah, This is uh, not a quote from Yogi Berra. We were talking about baseball oh, earlier. Oh, yeah, sure. But it sounds like it is. It's only a problem if it's a problem. Okay, <laughs> yeah. If you find that you're not enjoying life, you find that you can't sleep, you have... Um, you're irritable, mm-hmm. you're, you have gastrointestinal issues. Mm-hmm. And as far as normal worry, 95% of people say that they worry. And mm-hmm. most people that don't have a mental health condition worry about 5 to 10% of the time. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you're worrying 5, 10, even 15% of the time, And you aren't having any of those issues like you can't concentrate, can't sleep, Mm -hmm. GI issues. Yeah, You know, it's probably normal, average worrying. Mm -hmm. And most people who have generalized anxiety disorder uh, worry about on average 50%. -hmm. But I've seen people who are only worrying 20, say they worry 25 or 30% of the time, but because it... It's at night and they can't sleep. Sure. They can't concentrate on their jobs. They're irritable with their family. They want help. Absolutely.
0: I think that's, I mean, I'm going to highlight a couple of things. Number one, that you think that people, you've said that some people just are warriors and they just kind of come to accept it and that's just part of their life. And you, for you, and the implication here is that you don't have to accept it, that you it's its not normal to worry chronically all the time. Even if you can still function around it or with it, you, yes, know, you, can, you yes. can get rid of this. You can decrease it enough. Decrease, decrease it. Decrease okay, it, okay, not to get rid of it. Yeah, we,
2: I can often get rid of panic attacks, okay. but not worry. And, and what I'm saying too is that if you have other comorbid right, conditions, other, other
0: mental health modern, conditions, other yeah.
2: mental health conditions, or even sometimes physical conditions, sure. it worry may be more of a contributing factor than you
0: realize. It is uh, as an internist, it is one hundred percent more more problematic than you realize.
2: And super interesting is in a study that I was a protocol therapist on. Mm-hmm treating people with GAD, their depression improved mm-hmm. significantly, even though we were not even allowed to talk to people about depression. depression. And they even improved in the group that got relaxation only. Mm-hmm. Mm. And some meta-analysis, these studies that combine a bunch of studies, mm-hmm. found yeah. that when you treat anxiety, depression improves every bit as much as if you treat depression directly
0: directly with talk with the psychotherapy Ooh. or cognitive behavior wild it's, it's, I love think, it I think I'm going to highlight stuff I I know it sounds like well, it was like well I just said that Chuck why are you repeating it? but I think I need to highlight if I'm as an internist and somebody who prescribed and sent people to therapists all these years I, I never talk about it. we talk about this a lot we don't talk about Dramatic reduction and we, we we just help people barely hang on to dear life with their sure. anxiety. but if we want to say like you said, we can dramatically improve your life in terms of worry, maybe get rid of your panic, not necessarily with the pills also we'll talk come back oh. to talk about that <laughs> and that's that's a big that's a that's, all these things are a big deal and I think it's refreshing and rewarding to hear that uh, that that we can you that you can achieve that sometimes within weeks, weeks, months of, mm-hmm. of, 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 of your of type of kind of cognitive behavioral Technique's wonderful. It's fantastic. Yeah. yeah,
2: I saw a gentleman. Now, he, mostly this was him because right. he was really amazing and mm-hmm. was a sponge. But I saw a gentleman one time, mm-hmm. significantly better the next week. Yeah. Now, there's no guarantees. Right. Other people right. may take several weeks right. or months. Mm-hmm. Or it might be that medication will help them more. Yeah. That's correct. Before we uh, move into kind of like the the
1: you know the, the strategies that you use and some of the ideas that we're trying to knock down for people that are struggling with anxiety, can you talk a little bit about the uniqueness of your approach? I know um, our our friend Dr. Larry Shapiro was on a couple podcasts ago, and he like you has a very practical sort of time limited approach with very concrete and specific goals for patients. Things that he wants to help them achieve uh, accessible tools, that kind of thing. And um, I know when we were talking earlier, you were sort of talking about, you know, the first, second, and third session and sort of what you're trying – you're hoping to achieve in some of those um, meetings with people. So what what do you think is achievable and what what are – what are you know some of those goals that you set out with when someone comes to you who you can identify as really struggling with worry or anxiety that may be exacerbating all these other issues And, hmm.
0: and with Larry we talked about PTSD we didn't talk about anxiety specifically sure. but but it was always it's always impressive that these big, uh, diagnoses that uh, absorb people's lives mm-hmm. literally for years before they uh, could seek somebody like, like you. Uh, and You could turn them around in weeks to months. It's just dramatic because mm-hmm. I can't say that with pills and other things uh, oftentimes, not mm-hmm. certainly not to the extent that I've seen what the results from your work.
1: And yeah, I would say, too, that there's kind of a reputation for therapy, right. sure. uh, that it's this ongoing interminable right. thing that you're always going to and- go – yeah, you're just gonna go to the same person week after week and month after month for infinity years until you die and you just go and regurgitate right. your the things that you mm-hmm. you you vent and the things that you're worried about. So I wanna hear about your conditions right. and your approach. And
2: and right. absolutely people need support. Mm-hmm. They want support. And that is always part of the therapy. And when there's a therapeutic connection, that helps. A great deal sure absolutely but I have several different tools and my approach depends on the individual Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. last question of the questionnaire that I have them complete is what do you hope to get Mm -hmm. out of this Mm -hmm. and that's where I go but in the very first session I do some experiments Mm
3: -hmm. there
2: I have so many different things that can work and part of the fun of doing this is guessing what's going to work with this person right. and experimenting. Oh, oh, this road isn't working very well. Um, what about this approach? Mm-hmm. And I like to do some experiential things where they can experience a difference.
0: Mm-hmm. During so the session, I'm, I'm going to tell you this is like a foreign language to me. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to. I, I I've known Jennifer for years. And uh, once again that's the problem with the physicians and refer is that I don't step into the room with you with my clients or with our shared client to see wh- what you do I just see the results and the client doesn't always describe everything to me so mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you to start from the basics because you've written books and I, I don't remember how many mm-hmm. one of the books has a, a, a number in the title how many techniques I don't know some some ridiculous number of techniques that you had mm-hmm. 90, I don't remember what it was 15. I don't
2: remember the number oh my god. <laughs> <that's
0: right. laughs> She has like 57, 57 cognitive behavioral techniques. I didn't know that there were that many. So I'm going to ask you to just kind of backtrack and and so, just can you just take me through a typical patient, just a client coming in, de novo to you, um, who's a middle-aged female who has chronic worry that's kind of progressed to the point it's caused sleep problems and 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 mm. and 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 and, 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 str- and other GI and other things like that, and people and becoming irritable. Just can you take me through a typical.
2: A first what, what session. You, yeah, first yeah, session, uh-huh.
0: second session, uh, mm-hmm. type of thing. Yeah,
2: I'm not sure there is a typical good, no, fine, session. Good. However, I do like to talk about three. I mean, there's several different things that can interfere mm-hmm. with successful treatment. Okay. Number one is that anxiety occurs in a spiral. Mm-hmm. of interactions between thoughts, images, physical sensations, behaviors, and emotions. Okay. Now, not every person has all five of those symptoms, but for each person, it follows a similar course each time. Okay. And it is either strengthened or at least maintained in memory.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And what people typically do is they learn these Relaxation strategies or other types of coping strategies. Mm-hmm. And so they might take five or 10 minutes to get deeply relaxed using a breathing strategy or mindfulness strategy. Mm-hmm. And then they wait until their anxiety is out of control right. and their spiral's too high. And right. then it doesn't it work. Doesn't work. Right. And then they get frustrated right. and they, um, and they actually might start to feel hopeless mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. oh, this therapy isn't working. Mm-hmm. And I like to show people that it, we can get you very relaxed. Now this may be more of a second session. I may be jumping ahead here.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So we get them, I'll get them relaxed in the beginning of a session. And then I might, use i have a little um it's a little mindful bell i forget what you even call it mm-hmm. and I'll just go and when you hear that sound that's a reminder to use your relaxation strategy without stopping the flow mm-hmm. so listeners right now could let go of any tension that they don't need in their body just softening their muscles They could use a breathing strategy that they've learned right now. They could be focusing on the surfaces beneath them. Like right now, I'm feeling the ground beneath my shoes and feet. I'm feeling the chair beneath my seat and my legs. Mm -hmm. I don't have to stop talking to do that. Mm -hmm. And they don't have to stop listening to me to do that. They can do their jobs and do any of those strategies. Caveat is it's hard to do a breathing strategy when you're talking. Mm-hmm. Sure. No, right. Okay. So I can do any strategy I teach anybody mm-hmm. right now while I'm doing this podcast and it allows me to stay relaxed. Mm-hmm. So it's that ounce of prevention's worth a pound of cure idea that we see in medicine all the time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that we want to maintain that relaxation. So I may... You know, use this several times, and there are apps that can, can do this. Um, and I'm using this because we're talking on a podcast, but I might also hold up a sticky note mm-hmm. and show them the sticky note. So when I'm doing this, using the surfaces, noticing the surfaces beneath you,
3: mm-hmm.
2: or using your breathing to maintain that relaxation. mm
1: mm-hmm. So what I'm hearing you say is that you are you're cueing people to engage in this relaxation, mm-hmm. um, and practice re-engaging in the relaxation through what it is, whatever it is that they're doing. Does that help to ground people and, in the present yes. and in their bodies? Yes. yes. So what impact does that so, have on anxiety? So
2: being in the present, mm-hmm. you bring up a very good point that that helps um, anxiety, and we can have several reminders. Mm -hmm. And I don't need to be the one having those reminders. Mm -hmm. They can put up sticky notes in their car, places they see frequently, Mm -hmm. places they associate with stress. They can change certain things on their phone, like the text tone, the ringtones, the wallpaper. So when they see that different wallpaper or hear that different text Mm -hmm. tone, that's a reminder for them to be in the moment. Mm -hmm. And I'm really glad you brought up the idea of being with, you know, in the moment mm-hmm. because all worries about the future Yes. and all regret is about, about the, the past. past. Yeah, absolutely. So when we're focusing on our senses, we are in the moment and we're free from that worry and regret. Mm-hmm. And it's easier to stay there than to get there from, yes. you know, your thoughts spinning. Yeah.
1: So get, so kind of staying in that relaxation, does that sort of interrupt that anxiety spiral that you were talking about?:
2: We hope that we prevent it. more, okay, than, it. more than that we interrupt mm. it. And when we aren't able to interrupt it and the anxiety is really high, about the only thing that's going to work is um, is acceptance,, yeah. and drugs. Mm-hmm. And of course, drugs, I, you know, they're negatively reinforcing. We find that, and, and I'm, I'm not down on drugs. I think a lot of medications are very, very helpful. Mm-hmm. And the, the data is that CBT works better than medication for all of the anxiety disorders, except for social anxiety, which is about neck and neck. Um, OCD is very, very close. Mm. Mm. Um, but there's individual differences. Mm-hmm. So some people might do better with an SSRI or mm-hmm. an SNRI than with therapy. For some people, um, you know, if somebody's severely depressed, they're not going to be motivated to do these strategies, That's and they, right. may, they may require medication. Um, I got off track there. Uh, oh, mm-hmm. so <laughs> when the anxiety is high, one of the things that can help is acceptance. Mm-hmm. So, um, turns out that fighting anxiety fuels anxiety Mm. Mm -hmm. and that's just foreign to everybody because we are taught to fight stuff that we want to go away. Sure. We're taught, almost all of us are taught that. What? I'm not, I'm supposed to surrender?
3: Yes.
2: Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> one of my favorites, and I'm not even a big Harry Potter fan, but the double snare from Harry Potter. Okay. I don't I know if you. Do not. So, not I, if, uh, if, if you check it out on YouTube, yeah. they fall into this root mm-hmm. system and yep. they're wriggling, mm-hmm. and and the roots are grasping them and tightening right. them. Stripting. And yeah. Hermione says, this is devil's snare. You have to relax. Yeah. If you don't, it'll only kill you faster. Right. And then, of course, Ron is like, "Kill us faster!" <laughs> and you know he's yeah, fighting yeah, yeah. it. Uh, another analogy. <laughs> I have several analogies, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> when, it's
3: when, really, it's really true though. But yeah. when uh-huh. they stop,
2: when well, they stop fighting it, yeah. This is this is then it relaxes. Yeah. And- Releases them. Yeah. Is- so it's just observing the discomfort in your body, mm-hmm. allowing it to mm-hmm. be there, mm-hmm. letting go of fighting it, mm-hmm. noticing what color it is. Is it moving or still? If it increases, letting it increase. Mm-hmm. If it decreases. And that's not easy to do for everyone. Yeah. No.
1: I. It seems like one of the things that gets in the way of that acceptance is people feeling like, people feeling shame and guilt about true. their That's anxious too. reactions, right? Like, I should be that able to handle to this better. I should be able to calm myself mm-hmm. down. I should be able to think my way Shitting through this on or reason, yeah. reason my way through this. So how, how do you help people overcome that kind of shame spiral in order to move into a place of acceptance? Hmm. That's a good question.
2: Um, the acceptance thing is usually experiential. But, you know, to say that this is natural. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a its a natural response to want to fight this. Mm-hmm. And you're doing the best that you can. Right. It's not for lack of trying. You didn't get here because right. you're doing anything wrong or that it's your fault. Mm-hmm. And the good thing is you're taking responsibility by okay. showing up and doing I something do about worry. it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think another thing I, I use with that is, um think about if your friend, if your your best friend or close family mm-hmm, member mm-hmm. is having this, are you going to tell them, you know, you need to get over this. Exactly. Or, you you shouldn't be feeling this right, way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh so treat yourself with the same kind of love and respect yeah. that that you treat your good friends.
1: It's amazing how how often we need another person's permission. To have that kind of compassion on ourselves that we would, without thought, extend to anyone else around us. That's a pretty True. powerful idea. True. Yeah. The,
0: um, so you you see a typically a, a, a client with you. I know I I know there's a big range. You say uh, one session. You, some people can uh, have enough uh, have enough insight and obtain enough techniques from you that there might be enough. Typically, do you have whenever you set to get goals? Yeah, to get it started. <laughs> Typically, your goals are for a person, a client who has generalized anxiety or chronic worry. Not, we'll not talk about panic or anything like that. Typically, what are you trying, hopefully, targeting in terms of seeing an effect, seeing a benefit versus like, uh, you know, the, it's time to graduate. And you can, you have enough tools now.
2: Yeah. Um, well, I look at their goals and mm-hmm. how do they feel about where they are with those goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, So somebody comes in and they say, you know, I want to stop worrying. Well, that's not going to happen. It's a little
1: bit too general. yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: And I say, you know, even I worry. Mm -hmm. I don't worry very often. I I shouldn't say not very often, but I don't worry very much. There are days I don't worry at all. Mm -hmm. There are days that I worry 10 or 15% of the days, Mm -hmm. of the time. Mm -hmm. And that's a normal amount of worry. And Mm -hmm. For instance, the person says, I'm I'm worrying 75% of the time right now. Mm-hmm. How would you feel if you could get to 25%? Right. So, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And then, hey, if we can get to five or ten, great.
0: Extra, extra, yeah. So icing on the cake. Right.
2: And I I think the time that you conclude with therapy is when you see that. They're comfortable with where they are. Mm-hmm. Or they say, you know, um, I can live with 20%, for instance, mm-hmm. and it's been three weeks or four weeks in a row that they're kind of right, 20, stable, 30, right. stabilized.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you, what kind of – do you do quantitative – Questionnaire or semi-quantitative, whenever they enter the session versus or whenever they leave or between sessions, how do you how do you quantify twenty percent and fifty percent? To really just self-report, okay.
2: and there is a uh, you caught me because it probably would be a, get, a good idea for me to use the Penn State Worry Questionnaire. Is it okay? Because no, uh, ha- that's scr- quantifiable. I'm, okay,
0: that, now I'm now I'm writing that down because the rest of us need to
2: in the Beck Depression Inventory. Those are good things BDI, to, right? to right. yeah
0: or anxiety inventory is it, is it the anxiety or depression inventory um they, penn state
2: worry questionnaire the the um state trait anxiety inventory trait, yeah. those are are good measures yeah. i was better about using those when i was well you have experience now and you know
0: and yeah. you kind of know it engage in your it head. more yourself yeah you sure. already know it in yeah. your head you incorporate it automatically you're right yeah. But
2: it is kind of nice to be able to say, hey, your Penn State worry
0: questionnaire was... Well, all the rest of us have EHRs and they can push out to yeah. all these questionnaires and makes us feel better about ourselves mm-hmm. at what we're doing mm-hmm. because we don't, that's one of the, w- mental health is one of the places we don't quantify enough. I, I check blood pressure, I check sugars, I check w- w- waist uh, mm-hmm. size, I checked all sorts of stuff of weights, uh, but I don't check uh, other than qu- qualitatively what a patient right. tells me, client tells me about their mood or anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, well, it's, it's
1: difficult to quantify those things. Yeah. So that makes sense too.
2: I want to get back though to yeah. you. You're talking about shame, mm-hmm. and a lot of people feel ashamed of expressing their emotions. And, and Chuck and I have talked about this before. Uh, Dr. Tadros and no, I have that's talked fine, about Chuck, this my, my Latin teacher <laughs> called me Chuck. It's all right. <laughs> Uh And there's there's a lot of really great evidence now. That when we express our emotions, it's really beneficial.
3: Mm.
2: And when someone is stuck and these strategies aren't working, mm-hmm. then I look to what's
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: what emotions right. are locked in.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And helping people to get. Comfortable with being uncomfortable, mm-hmm. right. getting comfortable, crying, comfortable, getting angry. As long as you know, as long as it's not hurting anyone. Right. And so many people feel ashamed to cry or ashamed to express their anger. Mm-hmm. And of course, you again, you want to express anger in a way that's not destructive. Sure. Right. Right.
1: Do you see um, a lot of fear in people that if if i express my emotion if i feel my emotion i'm going to start crying and never ever be able to stop or start yelling and never ever be able to stop or break a window or something like that um so when when you s- see that fear come up in people how do you how do you help them disarm that fear and get comfortable with just feeling the emotion
2: not always easy but mm-hmm. what i usually do is take it back to a memory mm-hmm. and have them experience that memory and talk to them as if I'm there. Mm. And rather than saying, you have to cry yeah, or you have right. to get <laughs> angry, <laughs> and it exactly. just and it happens, rather yeah. than saying, you or, need to get angry or, sure. or you need to let yourself cry. Yeah. Um, but sometimes I talk to them about the data yeah. that is showing that when you express your so there's there's one study, I mentioned a study that I I was a protocol therapist on, and in that study, people who felt comfortable expressing their emotions improved significantly more than people who held yeah. their emotions in. Yeah. And there was another study at Penn State as well that uh, Louis Castingay looked at people who did more emotional experiencing during the course of of um treatment for depression were much happier at the end of the session much at, at the end of the study mm-hmm. you know however you can get there there's there's so mm-hmm. many different avenues to getting there but people who think that it's healthy to be stoic
1: uh-huh
2: are Have a lot of problems. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely.
1: I was just going to ask you about that, how often someone coming in with excessive worry or chronic, you know, physically manifesting anxiety um, are also poorly in tune with their own emotions Mm -hmm. and also maybe not Mm -hmm. um, skilled at regulating those emotions. Yeah. Yeah.
2: They call it alexithymia, away from emotions. Ah. And those, and there's also been some studies that they don't do well. Mm-hmm. Uh, those who don't regulate, mm-hmm. those that don't, aren't comfortable, have a hard time identifying yeah. them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's actually a child's book called "How Are You Peeling?" Yeah, <laughs> have you seen that? I mean, I've seen lots of child emotions
1: book recently. Yeah, and, yeah, and it's kind of funny because it has
2: these different fruits and vegetables yeah. Yeah. that Very have cool. different faces, and wow. and Absolutely. I've used that before to help people to identify what they're feeling it's kind of funny because you
1: think um you know being able to identify how you're feeling should just be such an intuitive thing but what a skill it's a learned skill no one comes out of the womb no one you know take a class in high school or college about naming emotions specifically identifying emotions specifically identifying Mm -hmm. physical sensations that are tied to those emotions um so talk about
2: That's some the importance of that yeah and 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 it's like you read my mind (laughs) um she's a psychic and i'm a psychologist and (laughs) you're almost a psychiatrist (laughs) not even
0: even close not even close but i I need to learn i need to all i know is i need to learn a lot i need to see a lot and do a lot and learn a lot so you said the
2: physical sensations that's where some people who can't identify
0: they can't that
2: oh i'm feeling sad mm-hmm. or I'm mm-hmm. feeling angry. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about this, where are you noticing mm-hmm. it yes. in your body? Yeah. Oh, the my soma. teeth are clenched. Right. I'm feeling my jaw tight. Right. I, I feel a heaviness in my chest. I feel a pit in my stomach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what would happen if you just allowed yourself mm-hmm. to continue to, to mm-hmm. feel that? Mm-hmm.
1: So it seems like the... Um, a big problem is that that, that discomfort, that feeling mm-hmm. of discomfort comes over somebody and they want to just get reject it. Oh, I got to get rid of it, it. As, as soon oh, it as, right. as possible. I have right. no tolerance right. for this. So whether that's right. taking a drink of alcohol or, or drugs fast. or something quick, easy, immediate. Go to
0: bed, something, yeah. Yeah, so get...
1: what an incredible and important skill it is to be able to say, okay, this my my chest feels tight, my my breathing is more rapid. Um, I'm, I'm feeling sweaty. Okay, let me tolerate this for a few minutes and, mm-hmm. and see if I can allow it to happen to me
2: mm-hmm. and sort of excuse it, accept mm-hmm. that it's happening, and then sort of move on. Yep. And not accepting it and fighting it is what often leads to those panic attacks. Yes. And, and while you were talking about that, I was thinking how wonderful it is that there are so many athletes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and musicians and actors that are talking about right. the you know Michael Phelps right. uh, was oh. one of the first uh, athletes that you heard and then Simone Biles mm-hmm. yeah. and right. it's wonderful that that they're kind of making it okay right. and for sure. people to say hey it's okay to not be okay. Mm-hmm. And and that helps to make it more temporary because you can yeah. get help for it. Right. You don't have to be as ashamed. I think that, that that they help to take a lot of the shame out of it because mm-hmm. they think, oh, if this person that I admire has had that, sure. it's okay for me.
0: Yeah. We, I, we talked about... about- men in abusive relationships and what we mm-hmm. what I what, and whenever I sat in on, on on some sessions many years ago 25 28 years ago they had on the wall this is for all men who were abusive they were abusers in relationships they had on the walls feeling statements yeah. because they had to actually write it on a wall uh, because guys just were not in touch with their feelings their physical symptoms all they just quiet, 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 blow up mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they literally don't have words they don't have words to describe what they feel they don't have words to describe what their physical sensations are um, and you're right, it's, uh, Vanessa. It's uh, we nothing. It's just we 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 live in families where this is kind of represented. Nobody talks about their feelings. Sure. It's not like you have to talk about it all the time. It's not like you have to wallow in it, mm-hmm. in it. But to kind of understand that's where it's coming from, and it's not it's not nobody else's nobody's fault. Uh, but for you to be able to understand it better, name it, name it.
1: Sure. And a lot of times there's a, there's a lot of cor- correction right. and you know pressure within families and communities to. You to mm-hmm. not be emotional, right? right? That show that showing anger, mm-hmm. or showing fear, mm-hmm. or showing sadness is oh, don't feel that way, right? Or you, you, you don't ne- have to cry; it's yeah. not that bad. You negate it, or, right. somebody negates it right it, away, exactly. Right. And mm-hmm. so then it becomes socially unacceptable to express those things about mm-hmm. yourself. So then it's it's an adaptation that you have to your environment to just get along through mm-hmm. life right. by not. By ignoring your emotions or not paying attention to what's really going on there,
0: mm-hmm.
1: can, can manifest ta- in so many ways.
0: I was, and I, I mentioned to, um, uh, to Jennifer, uh, cognitive rigidity and and kind of kind of this emotional regulation mm-hmm. or dysregulation. I hear it in a bunch of different mental health uh, conditions, but I certainly. When when I was trained, cognitive rigidity, we tended to see in, in kind of a singular, uh, kind of an OCD type a person. But but I think it's I see it, probably in a lot of other mental health uh, uh, issues. Um, can you, you about cognitive rigidity? I mean, once I know something's right, I should stick by my guns, shouldn't I? I mean. Why do I have to be? Why do I have to be flexible? I know what's right. I'm the guy. I'm I'm the husband. I'm the dad. I'm I'm, I'm winking. I'm winking. I'm the doc. I'm winking at everybody around the table. So why do I have to be cognitively flexible? And what what does that mean? Does it mean I give up my values? (laughs) Because I'm I'm just dragging Jennifer into the mud because I want to make sure that uh, she we we, we stretch her abilities here.
2: We get her for the good stuff. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) That kind of threw me a curveball there. I guess I would approach that what are the advantages of thinking this way? Right. What are the disadvantages of thinking that way? Mm-hmm. What are some alternative ways mm-hmm. that you could think?
0: Anything as long as what my wife and my kids want, then I don't want it automatically. <laughs> my way is the right way, but you know it's not that people are bad or mean. It's just that, that you know very narrow. I didn't you know don't have exposure to a lot of other things, and that's kind of the way it worked, and blah blah mm-hmm. blah. But you're right; it comes with it at a great expense. That's why I'm bringing it mm-hmm. up. Obviously, yeah. it comes at a severe expense.
2: And in that situation, I've done some stuff that's not really cognitive behavioral, but to said like for you to visualize that you are your wife. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you are you've got those heels on and you've got that you know whatever mm-hmm. she wears mm-hmm. and, and you're hearing your voice mm-hmm. saying hey it's my way
3: mm-hmm.
2: and trying to be put in that
0: right. in that
2: position and see put, what it's like sure on the other foot exactly yeah mm-hmm. the shoe on the other foot
0: uh, and then the, the emotional regulation, dysregulation. I think part of it emotional. People think of being emotional, uh, I don't know, in public. But for me, part of it is to stuff the emotion, kind of suppress it. it right. mm-hmm. There are there are some advantages because you can kind of get through the moment. Mm, yeah, uh, but but it comes. And there it are comes times out, that it's
2: yeah, it's right. not appropriate. It's not appropriate.
0: Sure. But, but unfortunately, like any it's kind of like a coach or a police officer, it's hard not to be that at home right? What you do for your job and what may, may, may makes you successful, uh, hard, hard-nosed attorney, whatever it is, maybe not doesn't work well in other relationships in your life. So that kind of that, that, emo, that, that cognitive rigidity and then that inflexibility emotionally. Um, and so so when is it appropriate? I mean should, should should there be catharsis once a day kind of kind of sit down journal <laughs> meditate well, how do you how do you let go how do you how do you have that mo- emotional regulation
2: Yeah that's yeah um, when i think of emotional regulation i think about what is the response that anybody would have Right So if you have a dog and you live in a quiet Mm cul-de-sac and an electric fence in the front yard Mm -hmm. and somebody comes flying through the subdivision, 50 miles an hour, 55 miles an hour, hits your dog, kills your dog, what are the two emotions you're gonna have? Mm -hmm. Rage and sadness. Yeah. 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 And people might use different words for that, but it's basically offshoot of uh, rage, anger, mm-hmm. infuriated, yeah. mm-hmm. pissed off—it's mm-hmm. um, the same thing, mm-hmm. you know. Or, I mean, that and sadness, yeah, mm-hmm. grief, mm-hmm. yeah,
3: mm-hmm.
2: yeah. And those are the the emotions that we want to accept, right? Mm-hmm. But as Charles was saying, it's not always appropriate right. if you're in a meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not appro- It may not be appropriate to break down in tears mm-hmm. or to yell at your boss, and it might cost you your job. Mm-hmm. So you can postpone those mm-hmm. emotions, mm-hmm. so that you don't react when it's inappropriate, mm-hmm. so that you have an appropriate response. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've just, I've just heard this. You want to have a response rather than a reaction.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah.
2: But that the response implies you're holding back a little bit. Mm-hmm. But if you can react in, so let's say you do have a problem with your boss. You, mm-hmm. You're you're really angry at your boss, of mm-hmm. course. It's not gonna behoove you to yell at your boss. Right. Um, but what you can do is write an angry letter you don't send. Yeah, absolutely. Visualize the um, the uh, boss in an empty chair and yell at the boss in the empty chair. Get it all out. Mm-hmm. Uh, people who have uh, who have who are really angry about political issues mm-hmm. to you know visualize you know in the in the open chair if it's something that they're really passionate mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. to just get it out so that it. And it's healthy to vent yeah. that, so that they don't do it when I got you. Um, they're in that situation and they lose their job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And that actually works. I think people say that sounds silly, but actually, these—I mean, this is the problem—is that uh, is that we don't try the simple stuff first, and it can't work. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly, mm-hmm. and yeah. Yeah. And that's a big deal. I think I think
1: yeah. I I a thing that I hear you saying there too is that we we want to have a proportionate response, right? We want our our emotional response to be in proportion to the the real thing that's triggering that emotional response, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's probably – that's part of – Again, back to that fear that people have oh, of expressing of, their emotion. That they'll never
2: stop. Exactly.
1: That they're, um, maybe, maybe they have felt that way before that, oh, I've mm-hmm. gone to this place in the past and I, mm-hmm. I felt so helpless or That's I right. felt like I was going to dissolve into a puddle that that feels very scary. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also at the same time, I think it, just personally, um, you know, what, at times when I've been struggling really badly with my mental health. I have felt like my emotional reactions Mm -hmm. were disproportionate Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. the things that was triggering them
2: and it was Mm -hmm. extremely distressing for me. Mm -hmm. Uh And sometimes when that happens, people are, their emotions are about their emotions. Yes, that's right. I'm crying because I'm crying. And that's where that (laughs) accepting, if you accept that crying, I've had a handful of people who, have said, I just start crying. and I keep crying, and there's no reason that I should be crying, and mm. I don't want. It's like next time, just, just think. Okay, cry harder, mm. and it almost always works. But one of the reasons that, that you know, I before I get people to that emotional place, mm-hmm. I give them more skills, yeah, mm-hmm. so that they have skills to treat this. And I came up with this, this phrase visit it don't live in it Mm. Mm. you want to visit that emotion Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. you don't want to live in that emotion Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you can and with the fear that it's never going to stop i think the more that people have skills to manage their anxiety and and manage their grief including allowing themselves to feel it um the less likely it is that that's going to go on right. forever, yeah, yeah. you that's know good point. Um,
1: and the reality yeah. too is that and, almost no one is ever stuck no, in an, an emotion right. that way forever exactly like For right. just, and
3: that doesn't happen yeah, right. yeah. And,
2: and I'll even say <clears throat> well let's let's do an experiment um, and you know, next time you feel like crying, let yourself cry and time it yeah and see what happens because there's never been anybody who's started crying and stopped and hasn't been able to stop crying Mm -hmm. there's never anybody who's done an open chair and didn't lose steam for you know getting angry and so i just you know that it's not an uncommon fear Mm -hmm. but it's never happened right but if you accept the emotions you're feeling, it's going to be much, it's going to be much shorter, mm-hmm. right? Because otherwise you get into these, what Marshall Linehan calls secondary emotions, where you have mm-hmm. the emotions about the emotions. Yeah. Then, so the person who yells at the guy for for running over their dog and starts crying mm-hmm. on the front lawn, um, if they accept that they yelled at the guy and they cried, they're processing what happened. Mm-hmm. They process the event um, and... It eases it, mm-hmm. but people who are like, "Oh, I'm so embarrassed that I cried.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm I'm ashamed that I yelled at the guy. I feel so guilty that I yelled at. Him. Now I'm really depressed." And then the emotion, the focus is on those emotions about the emotions. Secondary, yeah. Mm-hmm. So,
0: yeah, Marsha Linehan is is the the, the inventor of co- uh, dialectical behavioral therapy. Right. Very good. Yeah. Um, so, and uh, do you, do you subscribe? I mean, Vanessa and I have talked about this because. When we see patients that come to a ketamine clinic, a lot of them need a lot more tools. Whether it's cognitive mm-hmm. behavioral, which yes. is a classic uh, way of reframing and giving you more tools to reframe and, and to, to reprocess it differently, but also dialectical behavior. Do you believe? Do you do you subscribe to some of the dialectical? Oh, whatever whatever uh, it works.
2: Oh, absolutely, <clears> absolutely. <throat> do yeah. do dialectical behavioral therapy, which includes mindfulness. Right. Yes. And, mindfulness is a key and, piece of it. Yes. Yeah, and. Um, we got off on this tangent right. about the emotion stuff, which mm-hmm. is which is fine, mm-hmm. but I think um, uh, it is important to get back to one of the first questions, which is, what are some of skills. the the skills mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that right. you want to learn?
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah,
2: and. Um, one there's a couple of experiential things that I do with people. Yeah,
0: this is something important because I, I, and I and once again I'd like for you to talk a little bit about your books and some of your, your speaking circuits because you spoke for quite a while and then came back to practice. So, um, but would you yeah tell can you tell us some of the techniques and the experiential pieces of the techniques?
2: Okay, so I invite listeners and you in the room, mm-hmm. gently closing your eyes. And noticing how you feel when I say these words, Mm -hmm. calm down, (laughs) calming, calm, calm, calming, calm down. You can open your eyes. Anyone mm-hmm. ever tell you to calm down? And you want to flip them yeah, off? I was just going to say, calm they tell you, me angry. or they tell you, <laughs> sure. relax. Yes. And you mm-hmm. get more anxious sure. or more frustrated more angry, sure. because they're commands. Yes. Right. And not only do other people mm-hmm. shout out these commands to us, we tell ourselves, right. we tell ourselves, chill out, calm down, right. let it go. Right. And that makes it even harder to let it go. Mm-hmm. So, I'll help people. I'll walk them through. I said, "Well, what works best for you? Is it calming or calm?" Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yes. if it's calming, that's a process word. Then right. I'll mm-hmm. I'll go through three more: releasing, relaxing, letting go, mm-hmm. and then three more: mm-hmm. soothing, uh, chilling, freeing, mm-hmm. you know, and loosening. And and then right. so I get the best of the first three, best of the second three, best of the third three, mm-hmm. and then. Try those three, and then that's their process work. Love that. Right. And then that's something that when you, you see that sticky note mm-hmm. or you hear that text tone,
3: mm-hmm.
2: mine is soft mm-hmm. or softening. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite. And, um, and then I say, you know, when you see someone else is anxious, Use your word, mm-hmm. soft, mm-hmm. peaceful, letting go, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and and ask people with whom you spend a lot of time, instead of telling me to chill out, right. can you mm-hmm. please say mm-hmm. soothing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very super simple thing. They are. But it can really change. It can really make a big change for someone. Absolutely. Just a very simple thing.
0: I to have to go take a nap now because just just listening to you, kind of, kind of, <laughs> I feel a little hypnotized. No, it's, but actually, that's that is it's interesting how small these techniques are, but how how important they are. You'd like to think mm-hmm. that it has to be something dramatic and big, but it's mm-hmm. but you're telling me it's not. In mm-hmm. fact, and you've done it for many years. Yeah. Um, can you uh, can you uh, tell us a little more about uh, about uh, generalized. Uh, when does generalized anxiety and worry start? I tend to see it in kids. Uh, when I hear about it as adults, they, when we they take them back with their adult eyes and adult ears, they see it as, as children, oftentimes because of uh, distress in the family and other mm-hmm. things like that. Wh- when, how do you, you you don't take care of youngsters uh, typically? I don't. Yeah, I don't. What, when, d- Does it matter when it started? How many years has been going on? Uh, if it's attached with worry, uh, with worry and anxiety with with trauma or perceived trauma, does it make a difference for you or is still that your techniques and approach is still the same?
2: Uh, you know, if there's trauma, I'm not a trauma specialist. Right. Yes, and yes. in this great city, there's so many people who are more yes. specialized in yes. trauma than I And I'm a huge believer in specialization mm-hmm. and that, hey, I, I know this person who works with right. trauma, that person right. that, that works with trauma. Um, however, we've all experienced trauma some, in some level. our lives right. to some degree. That's correct. And I do something called schema therapy mm. for those that have that moderate level of trauma. But, um, I think, you know, by and large, the anxiety piece, the, I mean, the worry piece, mm-hmm. I, I probably do the same thing, except mm-hmm. that I would in, add mm-hmm. that part that we were talking about before finding mm-hmm. a way to unlock the emotion
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Gotcha. what do you what do people worry about what do you, oh, what kinds God of things
2: thanks. do people worry about oh, so money wait, let's, yeah let's
0: include everybody now
2: <laughs> money their children their job what people think of them mm-hmm. um the future mm-hmm. their health um the health yes mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's, you would have to bring that up. No. Well, that's
0: fine. <laughs> well no, but, but it's, it's universal. I mean, these are yeah. also stressful things. Whenever yes. in people, in people's, Whenever you look at stress indices, it is it's money and, and family and children. It's the top three, changing jobs, losing jobs. It's the top three, four, five. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I saw in this question, why do people worry? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, why do we worry?
0: Yeah. why? I mean, is there, is there a biological advantage? I mean, does it keep us vigilant? Uh, does it protect us from uh, the anticipatory stuff, the anticipation of bad things happening? Does it protect us from them? Uh, do we catch them earlier no. and act on them? Yeah, it so it's a deal. Is,
2: it, it's actually likely to do the exact
0: opposite, if why? anything. Yeah. Okay,
2: Because worry is useless, problem-solving, and planning Ah. are useful we can plan and problem solve with or without anxiety Ah. we've known for a long time that people with generalized anxiety disorder don't tend to problem solve well
0: ah so that's a big deal but
2: a guy by the the name of michelle degas found out that people who have generalized anxiety disorder are just as good at problem solving as anybody else. But the anxiety kind of handcuffs them. Yeah, well, keeps them, them from seeing the alternative. And everybody listening here today has experienced this. Well, yes. sure. Where, uh,
0: choke, where whatever, you know, right.
2: y- you don't, you don't come up with the solutions from worrying harder and longer. Right, exactly. When do you come up with the solutions? The, the shower, After a nap, the sh- the sh- <laughs> the shower, exactly. you're, the fresh. In the you're yeah. taking a shower. Yeah, yeah. Right. when you've when you've let it go, then you're yeah. like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I can do this. Yes. Right. So one of the things that I encourage people to do is use some relaxation mm-hmm. and observe their thoughts. Uh, sometimes, you know that that whole fighting anxiety fuels it if we're observing um uh, awareness cures trying fails sometimes that Mm. if you're just aware and you're just observing these thoughts that um and one of the things that I do is have people label their thoughts as helpful and not helpful Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. useful and not useful Mm -hmm. and I use that because what What often happens is that when people say, useless, 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 they feel the futility of those Mm. useless thoughts in a way that they haven't thought of them before. Sure, Mm -hmm. And it helps them to automatically let Mm. go. Mm -hmm. But then I was using with a, a woman about, gosh, probably 20 years ago, and she kept saying, helpful, helpful, helpful. And she opened her eyes and she said, oh, my gosh. I know what I'm going to do now. I don't even feel anxious anymore because I've come up with these solutions. Right. Yeah. But she had to give herself the permission mm-hmm. to think about it, or I gave her the permission. Mm-hmm. She allowed herself the permission. And, and um, you know.
1: I think something that's so interesting about that idea is that you're, you know, helpful and unhelpful are are qualitative words, right? They're kind of ju- like value statements, but we're assigning them to the thought, mm-hmm. not a not to... Ourselves as a person, mm. like I am not an unhelpful mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. The fact that I am thinking is not unhelpful, but it, these are the the contents of my thoughts. Mm-hmm. These are the the flow of my thoughts or whatever, which kind of removes that identity piece. It kind of push pushes put some mm-hmm. distance mm-hmm. there, yeah. mm-hmm. so I don't have to be right. caught up in how bad I bad. feel about myself wow. for having these remaining thoughts. Yeah. But I can start to sift through them in a way. That produces something. Yeah. yeah. And
2: what I actually start with most of the time is having them say new and repeat. Mm. Every thought that you think is either a new thought or a repeat thought. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. With, with worry, it's usually repeat. Right. They repeat, go repeat, 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 repeat. Yeah. repeat. They feel the futility of those yeah. repetitive mm-hmm. thoughts with less likelihood even than to judge the thoughts. Sure. Because mm. some people will go like, oh, there's another unhelpful yeah, thought. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, so... That makes sense. Um, but don't worry, problem solve. So I think a lot of times people are trying to solve a problem, right. as you implied, right. and but they're actually less likely.
0: They're just pedaling fast and going nowhere and exa- yeah. getting exhausted. That's what we see physically right. is they become exhausted. Yeah.
2: Lots of yeah. other reasons to worry, but i would seen we're right. out of time. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's relative. Time is relative.
2: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Um, I think you know we lo- we love to sort of end these conversations on mm-hmm. in a place of of hopefulness and mm-hmm. a place of action. Um, so obviously, if you know if you're if a listener is not themselves experiencing anxiety or worry, surely they love someone or know someone who is dealing with mm-hmm. a lot of anxiety mm-hmm. or worry. Mm-hmm. So, what advice do you have to families and people who who care, friends, people who mm-hmm. care about? Um, anxious, worried people, how can we best be supportive of each other during those times?
2: Allow them to talk about their worry because the worst thing you can say is don't worry about it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I could talk about all the research, but but that's going to actually make them be mm-hmm. more likely to, to worry about it if sure. you tell them don't worry about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and people just want to be understood Mm -hmm. and i think that when we let go of judgment Mm -hmm. we open our hearts to compassion absolutely Mm -hmm. and using those words like if you have a tendency to tell people just breathe instead breathing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if you have a tendency to Mm -hmm. say calm down instead calming Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, you know, depending on how well you know them, touching their shoulder or (laughs) or, or touching their forearm or their knee, depending on, again, on how well you Mm -hmm. just say breathing, Mm right, letting go. Um,
1: Just like we wouldn't demand something. We don't want to demand an action from someone else. We don't want to demand an action from ourselves,
2: focusing on the process Mm -hmm. of doing those things. I love it. And it might be that they sit down and say, let's think about what we can do about this. Sure. Because I've had a, I've had a couple of clients who I talked about, well, what can you do about it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they came yep. back and they said, you know, every time I started to worry, I thought, well, what can I do about it? And if I mm-hmm. there was something I could do about it, I made a plan. Mm-hmm. And if there wasn't, I realized it's not worth worrying about. Right. Yeah. So, you know, let's see what we, you know, maybe as a supportive role. Yeah. To say, let's see if there's some things that we can sit down and talk about that we can do about this to make Mm -hmm. things better. What are your options? Yeah.
1: That's such good relationship sort of wisdom, right there, to so sort of differentiate. Do you want me to just listen to how you're feeling, or do you want me to help you solve a problem? Yeah, and sometimes it's both.
0: Yeah, yeah. or sometimes
1: it's one
2: first and first then the other.
0: Be listened to first. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. yeah or, that's one of those Mars Venus things. Yeah, that <laughs> say that men want to solve the problem and yeah. women right. want to... But it's not always that way. No. It's not always that, that way. No. Not, yeah. yeah, but so I always want both. Well. <laughs> yeah, there we go. I'm greedy. Exactly. I want. I want people to understand what I'm feeling. <laughs> And offer some solutions, right? For me.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you. I, there's always more, and Absolutely. I, I think we we we, uh, we have more strings, more 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 ends of strings that we can, you know, kind of roll out and, and talk about for another hour each. Uh, I still want to talk about your speaking circuit and about your books, and so we mm-hmm. ask you to come back sometime. Sure. Is that okay? Sure. We could do it a bunch of different ways, yeah. and there's other expertise that you have, and uh, because. You've had long experience, and thank you for being here in the St. Louis area. Thank you for writing books so people outside Mm -hmm. of your your, your earshot can uh, learn some of your techniques and basic stuff that the rest of us kind of gloss over and just go straight to pills and other uh, heavy-duty stuff. So I really appreciate kind of grounding me and saying, hey, you know, backtrack a little bit, Chuck. So, this yeah. is the stuff that really impacts yeah. people's lives Absolutely. on a day-to-day basis. Absolutely. We see
1: the impact of great therapy on yeah. our patients all right. the time at Midwest Institute for Hearts and Minds. So yeah.
2: thank you so much for yeah. being here today, Dr. John. Thanks for Abel. having Thanks. me, Thanks, yeah. Vanessa and Dr. Tadros. Yeah, <laughs>
1: All right, well, um, that is our show for today, folks. Of course, if you want to get involved in the pod, you can send us your feedback. We're always available by email, notyourdocpod at gmail.com. We'd love your feedback, any questions that you might have for Dr. Abel. um, You can check us out on our website, of course, notyourdoc.com. We've got uh, links there to Dr. Tadros's blog, also to all the podcast episodes. You can find us on YouTube and Spotify as well. And we're gonna be back again next time for another great chat. Mm-hmm. I'm Vanessa. Um, again, here for Dr. Tadros, Dr. Jed, for Abel and Seth. Thank Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Right,
0: this previous podcast represents my opinions, and the opinions of my guests. This is not medical advice, and I'm not establishing a physician-patient relationship with any listener. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each patient is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions that you may have.